Mac Power Users, Episode 228, Workflows with Rocket Scientist Skip Owen. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm well. You know, Skip, I was so tempted. I wanted to call you the Rocket Man, Skip Owen, but I, I'm, I'm sure you've heard that before. I have. In fact, that's uh, one of my, my one of my nicknames. So, oh, see, maybe I should have done with Rocket yeah. Man, Skip Owen. That may, maybe that's what I'll actually call call the show. We're closed with Rocket Man, Skip Owen. We'll see. Well, Skip, well, you started writing us a little while ago, and as soon as you told me where you worked, you had me. I mean, <laughs> I grew up loving NASA. So Skip is a rocket scientist, everybody. And uh, and you're you're down yeah, no at big. the Cape, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm at uh, the Kennedy Space Center right there, but next to uh, Cape Canaveral in uh, Florida. Yeah, and, and Skip is using his Mac to put us in space. How could we resist having you on the show, Skip? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I use my Mac every day, and, uh, you know, it's... Uh, probably one of the most important tools I have in order to get my job done. So I've had to learn how to use it as efficiently as possible. Yeah. Skip, when we first started corresponding, and it's been a year or so now, uh, you were telling us about how you were integrating some of the Mac Power users information workflows that we were talking about uh, with some folks that were doing a biodome project and simulating how a Mars mission would work. And that just seemed like, oh my gosh, people are actually listening to Mac power users on a simulated Mars and, and using some of the tips that, that we're talking about on their simulated Mars mission. How cool is that? And and now you're launching rockets into space and it, it you know, it seems more as it, this is, you know, when we get there, not if we get there and do this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, especially within a, with a group like, with NASA, you know, we've got, you know, centers all over the, all over the country. You've got people, um, traveling a lot. So, you know, collaboration and, you know, having that, that online connectivity is a really, really important thing. So to the extent that you can share with us, and and I realize some of what you do, um, may not be shareable. uh, Can you give us a little bit of an overview of the type of work that, that you're involved in? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, everything that I work on is, is shareable. Um, so I, I work for the, the launch services program, um, <clears throat> which is based out of, uh, Kennedy space center. And basically what, what the launch services program does is it procures launch services for pretty much everything that NASA launches, um, uh, about the only thing that we don't support are, uh, manned launches. Um, it's a separate contract structure for, um, the ISS, um, uh, commercial resupply. And then, um, you know, we also have a, a separate structure that kind of supports um, some of the bigger uh, launchers like uh, the up and coming SLS. But everything else um, pretty much comes through our shop if, if you want to get it into space. Um, and so one of the big things about what we do is we don't actually buy hardware, we buy a service. So as part of that service, you know, our, our job with launch services is basically managing that service for our spacecraft customers. So, so there's a it, lot, of, lot of data and a lot of collaboration that has to happen. So would it be launching satellites, launching rovers, launching uh, re- resupply um, missions and things like that? Or is that kind of the scope of? 
Yes, spacecraft. Um, some of my more recent ones, um, I worked on the uh, Curiosity rover that's on Mars right now. I worked on that one for probably about five years uh, before it launched. Um, I also worked the MAVEN mission, which is a an orbiter um, that's around, actually it just injected around Mars uh, not too many weeks ago. Um, so those are, those are a couple examples of the types of spacecraft that we launch. Wow. Weren't you, weren't you really tempted when you first got the job to get like the white shirt with the short sleeves and the skinny tie and the pocket protector? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think if I had the job, I would cut. wear that. I would wear that like once a week. If I, well, I, there. I definitely have saying. a buzz cut. So <laughs> <laughs> of course they would probably throw me out after about a week anyway. So <laughs> there you have it. Um, so, so skip, wh what is the penetration of the Mac over at NASA? I, I would say it's probably a lot like uh, the, the legal profession where it's, it's very much a, a PC world and the Mac, while the popularity has, has significantly grown over the last you know, handful of years, it's still, you know, we're still kind of a minority uh, user group. Yeah, I, I would almost think that like in the in the legal profession, I think the reason for the popularity of the PC is because that's what people have used and people are resistant to change. I would say that in a group of engineers, the popularity of the PC is probably that it's more customizable. I mean, you can you can do more to it. Yeah, I, I think probably the 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 big sticking point um, for going to a Mac, at least in the engineering world, is just there's there's a lot of specialty applications that are still PC only. So if you're if you're running, you know, in one of these specialized pieces of software, you you either need to, you know, run a a software program like Parallels on your Mac in order to to have it work, or or you'll have just two separate machines. Yeah. I know NASA was was really at the forefront and a lot of, you know, they were creating the programs and they were creating the hardware and they were creating the, pro, you know, the what the technology that was, they were advancing the technology that was later moving into consumer products. And so are they using more off the, what we would consider off the shelf solutions now, or are there still a lot of that, that custom uh, creation there? Yeah. So actually that's probably a good segue to, to go ahead and, um, you know, just caveat the fact that I, I am a, uh, I work for the federal government. I'm a civil servant with NASA and um, I am by no means a spokesman for um, PCs or Macs or any of the software uh, solutions that we're going to talk about on the show today. NASA endorses Macs. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they, they probably wouldn't use me as the spokesperson, spokesperson, uh, person anyway, but uh, so um you know, as far as, you know, computers and computer services go, um, NASA contracts that out. Um, it's it's competitively bid. And then, uh, you know, we award a services contract a lot like um, my program does for launch services. We we contract out the same thing for computer services and IT. So, um, you know, a lot of our computers and, and software and everything that's that's uh, purchased for us is is done through that through that support contract. But as far as like specialized software goes, um, you know, we'll we'll certainly uh, develop software um, that that we need to, unless it is commercially available, and then we try and use anything that that is commercially available. Sure, it's a lot easier to go get it off the shelf than to build it all from scratch. Absolutely. But with a bunch of engineers, there's a lot of you that are tempted to, I bet, 
I, I know that every time I deal with engineers, they really like to write their own applications. Uh, yeah, and and there's a lot of that 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 goes on. Um, and uh, you know, sometimes it's just it's cheaper and faster to just go ahead and build something yourself than to try and you know do an exhaustive search of you know trying to find a, a software package that will do what you need, and then getting that software package to do exactly what you need sometimes takes a lot of fiddling. So, so what is your setup, Skip? So my, my setup at work, I have a 13-inch uh, MacBook Air. Uh, I've got a 27-inch uh, external monitor. And then I have a, uh, a government-supplied uh, uh, BlackBerry as my smartphone. So they actually bought you Mac hardware to use in your day yes. job. That's yes. interesting. Great. Yeah, that was, that was an option for me. So I'm assuming that you're running some kind of virtualization software on there? Actually, I'm not. Well, good uh, for in, you. In, in my current job, I, I don't have any, any specialized software that requires PC. Now, um, before, um, yeah, I've been with Launch Services since 2001. Um, and most of that time I was spent um, working in the, in the flight design group, which you know, is easiest to, to explain to people as I'm a rocket scientist. Um, and literally that group is designing uh, the path of the rocket from the launch pad all the way to orbit and sometimes all the way to, you know, the other planet that, that we're visiting. Just kind of depends on the mission and, and whether our, uh, our spacecraft customer has requested that, that kind of um, service. Wait, so, wait, you mean you, you can't just point it at Mars and push the red button? It's like a slingshot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like the Roadrunner cartoon. So you just uh, set it up and press the big red button. And it's a little more complicated than that. So, you know, when, you, when you're calculating those, those trajectories and, and doing optimization, um, there, there, there were some programs when I was doing that kind of work that, that required a PC. And in that case, I had a, a virtualization software on my, on my Mac running. I, you know, I, I still can't believe, like, just looking back at the old Apollo project and, you know, the moonshot, how those guys did those calculations when they didn't have modern computers. You had a slide I, rule. That's all you need. It's just, I can't get over that they, that they did that. That's, yeah. Yeah, it is, the, it's what it my is grandpa says, is all you need is a slide at. rule. He did an awful lot with the slide rule. But anyway. I'm you, sorry, Skip. Do, go ahead. Skip, do you ever like have some of the the older guys that were back on those programs show up and tell you how you guys are don't need all this stuff, like Katie's grandpa? <laughs> um, yeah, I was uh, kind of lucky enough to, to have a, a couple of the more experienced people uh, working in the flight design group with me, and um, you know they they actually had a slide rule that they used to use at work, so they you know would show me how to use that. Although I wasn't, I got to admit, it wasn't something that I uh, ever got used to using. So, uh, but one of the guys that I, that I uh, actually still work with, um, when he was a kid, um, wrote a, a letter to Robert Goddard, you know, wow. like the, the father of rocketry. Yeah. yeah. And um, at the time it was, it was after Robert Goddard had, had passed away, but his wife was still alive and his wife actually, uh, uh, wrote a letter back and he still has that letter and he was you know his wife basically said you boys need to be careful or you're going to blow yourselves up <laughs> so. that's always good advice you'll shoot yes. your eye out yeah 
<laughs> well, it, it is it is crazy though. I mean, when you think about it, because I mean, the amount of computing power you can bring to bear on that trajectory problem now compared to what they had in the '60s and the '70s is you know it's it's amazing i think when i think it was the iphone one or the iphone two came out someone had wrote an article how it had as much computing power as the computers that they used for the moonshots and and now we're on the iphone six that's like i don't know 20 times more powerful than that it's it really i don't know to me i would think in your job it's something that's you almost marvel at how far we've come yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely amazing what you can do with, you know, the the little device in your pocket compared to, you know, when I was a kid and and had a computer at home. You know, it would take 15 minutes to load up a game from the floppy disk and, and now it's just instantaneously on and on your iPhone, so. Now, are are those trajectories? I know this is a little off topic. I I'm, I'm sure it's probably not Mac software that's doing that, right? Uh, we, there's, there's a couple of different programs that, that, that I used. And, um, one of them in particular, um, was, was both Mac and PC. So I could run the, uh, the, the Mac version on, on my Mac. Um, everything else, um, tends to be, um, like a Unix based. So we would, uh, actually, um, you know, dial into one of the servers that was running the optimization software, and then we would uh, basically execute a script that would that would uh, run the calculations for us. Well, if it's and if it's Unix, that would almost make the Mac better for that job. Absolutely, yeah, well, it uh, was really pretty easy to uh, to interface with the software that way. And here's like a really dumb question from you know a space nerd who doesn't really know that much about space. Uh, now, you guys, I'm sure you spend a lot of time figuring out those trajectories and how you're going to take off. But uh, I would assume that you're constantly making adjustments after launch as well. Is that right? Well, so with, with the launch services program, our, our contractor, um, the guys that actually built the rocket are, are the ones that are responsible for actually uploading the software onto the rocket and, and basically giving it its commands for, for travel after launch. Um, our job with launch services is is to kind of back them up. So we do a lot of independent analysis on top of what they're already doing. That um, so think of it this way: we're we're basically the insurance policy for for any of NASA's missions. Yeah, if that rover just you know flies right past Mars, then everybody looks bad. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You don't, you know, everybody wants their their work double checked because nobody wants to you know, be the one guy that, uh, you know, missed a, a decimal point or switched up a number somewhere. Does, um, and, and one other question about this, which is a little off topic, Katie, just give me a little, give me a little okay. time. I All right. Yeah. Is I, I think it's fascinating when I read about the hardware you guys use for these rovers and these unmanned projects that, um, you know, you have to have the most solid, you know, camera sensor and the most solid, you know, processor. And that doesn't mean you're going to have the latest and greatest. So it's you always have something that's tested and tested and tested again. Yeah. So it's always kind of interesting to me, like one of the more recent Mars rovers, the camera was like, I think it was like one megapixel. And, and I saw a guy interviewed, maybe it was you skip. And he said, well, you know, there's better sensors, but we wanted one that we knew would work because you can't change the sensor once it gets on Mars. Yeah, it really, it really all comes down to what are your requirements? You know, you're going after, you know, a certain set of science data. 
And if you can get the science with, you know, a one megapixel sensor versus a five, and that one megapixel, one megapixel sensor has already flown and has a lot of heritage, then it's, it's less risk in order to fly it. Um, versus if you had to go out and, you know, fly the better sensor, but if it hadn't flown before, then you'd have to go out and spend a lot of money in making sure that that, that component was, was flight worthy. Well, so that's another balance. reason. That's another reason I would get fired after the first week, because I would be like, let's put a 20 megapixel sensor in there. <laughs> you know, Whether or not you need it, I would just want the, the biggest and the baddest sensor I could get in that thing. It, it certainly is hard for a tech geek, especially, you know, like me, I, I go out and I buy the iPhone as soon as it comes out. And, uh, you know, I, I always want the latest and greatest. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a different, it's a different way of looking at the problem. Well, Skip, I want to talk a little bit about the type of work that you're currently doing uh, and the tools that you're using for that. Uh, but before, and so be thinking about that. But before we get there, uh, David, why don't you tell us a little bit about our first sponsor this episode? I'd love to, Katie Floyd, and that's Backblaze. We're so happy to have Backblaze back on the show. Um, you know, life is getting more digital, and you want to protect your digital self with Backblaze Online Backup. It's unlimited online backup on your Mac and PC. You know, uh, why do you need it? Because computers get crashed, or they get stolen, or you have a hard drive failure, or you have a natural disaster. There's so many different reasons why you could lose access to your data. And while having a, a drive attached to your computer and doing a backup is a really great idea, we recommend it, or having yourself a time machine or some other way to have a backup in your house, you want to have that off-site backup as well, and Backblaze delivers. Backblaze will back up all the data on your computer and make it accessible anywhere online or mobile. And by all your data, I mean all of your data, the movies, music, photos, videos, documents, you name it, they've got it. They have stored over 100 petabytes of data. So think about that. A petabyte is a thousand terabytes. That's a lot of data. There's over 7 billion files restored for their customers. They've got apps for the Android and the iPhone. They make it very easy to get your files on the go. So you can just get the app and something you've backed up, you can access from anywhere. They can also do hard drive restores uh, if you per, uh, for purchase. If you need, you can get everything back. You can just buy a hard drive and they'll send it to you. Web store restores are available for free. There's no add-ons or gimmicks or additional charges. You get a free trial at backblaze.com slash MPU. And if you order it, it's $5 a month per computer for unlimited backup. And let me tell you the secret. Now I've got this fancy iMac. I've got it attached to a Drobo. And I'm backblazing the whole tamale up to backblaze. It's great. I'm going to have all this stuff backed up. Get your risk-free, no credit card required, fully featured two-week trial at backblaze.com slash MPU. So make sure you do slash MPU. That gives us credit. And thanks, Backblaze, for supporting the show. And everybody, go get yourself backed up with Backblaze. So, Skip, I was a little surprised when you said that you're able to do all the work that you're doing now on your Mac without virtualization. And um, that excites me because I, uh, you know, have taken a Mac into my office. And unfortunately, I'm finding that I'm having to virtualize more and more because we're we're moving to some more proprietary solutions. And here you are, this guy working at NASA, and you're like, nope, just using my Mac. I can do everything on my Mac. So wh what types of things are, are you doing and, and what types of tools are you using for that? Okay, so um, a lot of my job focuses around email. Uh, and I know you guys have talked a lot about the, the pros and cons of email. Um, it's but, a necessary you know, evil. 
it, it is, um, especially when you're when you're working with you know multiple groups. So for us, we've got our spacecraft customer that comes to us. They need a ride into space, and then our contractor, which is you know the guys that are bringing the launch service to our spacecraft customer. Um, so those are our, you know, those are the three groups: LSP, the spacecraft, and the launch vehicle provider. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of communication that has to go um, back and forth between all three groups from the time that you turn on the launch service all the way through um, until after launch. And a lot of that is, is done, as you can imagine, via email. So I live um, in and out of my uh, email inbox every day. So that's, that's probably one of the most important applications on, on my Mac. Uh, and and I actually use uh, the native um, mail application on the Mac, which I think I'm probably one of the only ones, at least in my local group, that actually does it that way. Hmm. Now, are you are you enhancing Mail.app with any kind of tools or or plugs in, or how, how do you have that configured to work for you? So I, I really don't. Um, I I try and keep it as as simple as possible. Um, you know, my, my whole philosophy on technology and I don't always follow it, but it is to try and keep it as, as simple as possible. You know, basically let the technology do the work for you, but don't, don't go crazy with it. Don't, don't spend too much time fiddling and, and trying to configure it to do things. It, it, there's a, there's certainly a, a cost benefit ratio that you have to look at. And for me on email, if, if I can get in and within five seconds find an email from a couple of years ago um then that's good enough for me so i don't have a real complicated um folder structure that i save my email based on topic or based on who it comes from um, i just have a single inbox and then i archive that inbox after so many months and i, I keep that on on board on my local computer and the rest of it stays on the server i think um, a lot of I, I think a lot of people skip um used to try and search for email maybe five or 10 years ago and found it really difficult and slow. And as a result, they came up with these, you know, these big mousetrap solutions to store all their email by person and date and tags and all that other stuff. Um, I bet if those people would go and try and search an email today, they'd find that the experience is a lot better. And um, that that's kind of a running theme on our show is, is you know, think about what you're going to get on the backside before you dump a bunch of time in the front side. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so it but, works but well I for am, me. I, I am interested, though. Um, so you keep it all in your inbox for a couple months and then you say you archive it. By that, do you mean you just put it in the archive folder? I, I basically move it to a folder that's resident on my Mac. So it's off the server. You know, we only have so much server space and, you know, I can get, you know, 100 to 200 emails a day sometimes. So, um, as you can imagine, I'd run out of space pretty quickly if I left it all on the server. Now, do you guys, are you, um, like, are you exchange or IMAP or are you allowed to say, I don't know. Oh yeah, no, we're, we're Microsoft exchange. Um, so yeah. it, it works great with my Mac is I really don't have any any issues with it and then you've got the blackberry too i do so that's that was kind of the smartphone that really the only smartphone that was was an option for me when i when i got it about a year and a half ago so um you know being a iphone user since day one it it uh pained me greatly to <laughs> have to pick up a blackberry and start using it um i don't have to say once once i got used to you know, the physical keyboard and, uh, you know, the, the different interface, I, 
I get around the BlackBerry pretty well, but I, I do, and this is the same theme as my email. I only use the BlackBerry in, in ways that I need to use it. So I actually don't carry my BlackBerry around as, as my main device. It stays in my bag. If I know I'm going to be off, you know, you know, going from meeting to meeting throughout the day, and maybe I don't have my laptop with me, I'll grab my BlackBerry and stick it in my pocket. But otherwise, it, um, you know, it, it really sits in my bag, and, and I, I, I don't use it unless I need it. Um, my, I stick with my iPhone as my main phone, including for, for work calls. So everybody calls my, my personal cell phone for, for work, and, and I'm more than happy to use it for that purpose. But um, as far as official you know, government data and email and, and calendar and everything, you know, I do use my BlackBerry for that. So that's kind of the dividing line for me. So now, they, are they, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead, Katie. I, I was going to ask. So they issued you the BlackBerry saying, for whatever reason, we're comfortable with BlackBerry solution. We're comfortable with how they've implemented exchange and how they keep their data and how this is locked down. Um, was that just because they were comfortable with BlackBerry? They were comfortable because it was, you know, quote unquote, their device and not your device. Or do you have any inside knowledge on that? Or I know Apple has been trying to make um, inroads with with the enterprise and have have made some some changes to iOS to to try to help that. But didn't know if it was more of a, a hardware and operating system issue or more of just they wanted you to have a dedicated device. And this was the one that they were using. Yeah, they they were really just going for that. That was kind of the the solution at the time, and and actually since the time that I got my BlackBerry, they've um, added the iPhone as an option for oh. the for for the smartphone. And in fact, uh, a lot of people in my group just got their their first iPhones um, just within the last few days. And um, I've had a lot of people in my cube saying, "Okay, Skip, how do you how do you do this on the iPhone?" And, so I have a feeling I'm going to be setting up uh, a couple of classes at, at work to teach everybody how to use their new iPhone. So will you be able to, so you'll then at some point when you make that transition, you'll have a personal iPhone and a work iPhone. Yes. Yeah. And okay. I'll, and I'll use my work iPhone just like I use my work Blackberry and I'll, I'll keep it separate and use it as I need it. Yeah, I can see because, you know, when it's a work phone, you're limited on what apps you can use and like all the stuff you use for fun with your phone. just can't really be on that phone yeah there were there were a few there were a few limitations with with how the government um you know wanted me to use the government provided smartphone that i just i just wasn't comfortable signing up to with with my own personal phone so you know it's a personal choice and that's i've made it work and and it's actually kind of nice it kind of you know it kind of keeps your your personal life away from your work life so when you go home you don't you know, and you're flipping through emails, you're not tempted to, okay, I'm going to look in this folder and see if I got any work emails, you know. So I'm actually can... kind of pleased to hear that, you know, the the reason that they didn't want you to commingle wasn't because the iPhone wasn't capable of something or they didn't like the way that Apple had implemented security because it sounds like whatever those concerns were in the past have now been resolved because they are, in fact, issuing iPhones. It's just because they want they want to keep their stuff segregated on a on a separate device. And that seems very understandable, especially for the type of work that you're doing. Yeah, it was it was information security. Um, I mean, I, I could certainly put the work email on my personal iPhone, but there were certain, you know, rules and, and regulations that I would have to follow. And there'd be, you know, basically, I couldn't let other people use my phone. And, you know, that doesn't work well when you have a wife and kids. And um, so it was just it was just for my use case, it, it made sense to, to keep the devices separate. 
Now, are you a um, an iPad user too? Absolutely. Yeah, I've got a, an iPad Air. And, and does that in, go into your work stuff, or is it just for fun? No, I actually I I do use it um, at work, but I don't I don't put anything any kind of work data that needs you know any kind of extra security on it. So. You know, if I'm mind mapping a problem, you know, I'll use my iPad and I'll, I'll do some mind mapping on it. Um, if I'm if I'm taking like real general notes that don't include, you know, third party proprietary information, um, just real basic notes, then I'll, I'll take notes on my iPad if I'm just running off to a quick meeting. Um, and of course, I use OmniFocus. So um, that's probably one of the, the biggest uses of my iPad day in and day out is, you know, getting in and out of OmniFocus. You know, I know yeah. we've got it a little later in the outline, but this may be a, a good time to raise it is how do you navigate the security obstacles when you're working in an environment like this? And, and we've had a couple of people write in and ask us and say, you know, I, I really want to use my iPhone, my iPad, my Mac, whatever, for putting things in a tool like OmniFocus or putting things in a mind mapping software, and I'm just using examples that you brought up, but that syncs with iCloud and that takes it outside of my network or it syncs with, you know, the OmniSync server and that takes it outside of my network. And that's a big no-no. And my, my firm is very specific about that. So what are some of the obstacles when you're working in an environment like that? And how do you, how do you work around those, you know, within the limitations that they put on you? Yeah. You know, I guess I look at it like, like this, if it's, if it's, something that I'm willing to write down on a piece of paper, whether it be a sticky note to remind me to email somebody or send a, a piece of data to somebody else, or just writing up a mind map on a whiteboard. Um, if any of that information is something that I could, you know, take to a Starbucks, for example, and not worry about leaving, you know, you know, forgetting to pick up the piece of paper or whatever, when I was done, then um, you know, that's something that can go in, in the cloud. It's not, it's not proprietary. It's not protected data. It's, it's just, it's information that, that keeps me on track. And so that's, that's kind of how I've, I've looked at it and I've segregated the data out and, um, and it works. Like a project, like a, 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 a schematic for a plan would be something that you wouldn't use, but planning out a project with a mind map would be something you would. Right. Common sense. Yep. Um, the, the, uh, you, you talked about mind mapping. So of course I can't let that one slide by, uh, because I, I'm like you, I think that the iPad uniquely makes mind mapping possible. And I recommend you try it out there if you haven't, because something about the iPad, I don't know, I, I mind map a lot of stuff on it. Uh, what applications do you use for that? Um, so I use, uh, I thought HD and I thought X on the, on, on, uh, the, the Mac. And, uh, and really, I about the only time that I want to pull out my Mac and use uh, the mind mapping on there is if it's a really complex map or if it's large and I really need that extra screen real estate to work on it. But otherwise, I, 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 I feel like I work better, you know, with the touch interface on iOS, just kind of moving things around and uh, you know, I get around quick enough on the on the keyboard that that's really not an issue on on the iPad. Uh, and the same goes for OmniGraffle. Um, I use that quite a bit on my iPad, even though I do have it on my Mac as well. There's just something about that tactile tactile uh, interface, you know, being able to touch the data and interact with it. I don't know if it if it's just easier for me to get the thoughts out of my head down into the into the computer or what, but uh, it just seems to work better for me. 
Yeah. And, and I think also the fact that that creative thinking, a lot of times it's easier when you're away from your desk and the iPad can go away from your desk very easily. And with OmniGraffle on the iPad, it's a great experience because they didn't just make a port of the Mac app. They really thought about a graphics application that relies on touch interface. And it's just really completely different I, in my experience. Are you using your iPad at all in meetings or for note taking or or for any anything that's more collaborative and and not just kind of for you, for your own purposes? So actually, that's that's I think how we first uh, made contact was when I was um, working on a, on a special project that was kind of looking at ways that um, the Kennedy Space Center could use um, iPads and technology in, in the workplace. Um, you know, I was uh, working with a small team that was given a small amount of money to to go out and, and investigate some of these technologies. And part of that was, um, you know, looking at going paperless. Part of it was looking at uh, using iPads in, in meetings and, and trying to go paperless that way. And then another part of it was, was just uh, collaboration, both using iOS devices and computers, um, Apple TVs. So, um, so our group kind of looked at all those different options and, uh, and I think that's kind of what spurred some of our first conversations because I was relying heavily on, on David's, uh, paperless book. And and I'll just tell you, when I heard that people at NASA were reading something I wrote to use in their workflows, uh, you you had to just pull me off the ceiling. I was so excited. (laughs) I can't tell you. Yeah. And you know what? It's, you should be proud. It's, you you did a great job with that book. And, uh, I know it's helped a lot of people. I know it's really helped me as far as going paperless, um, even more so at home than at work because work was already pretty much there. Although in the last couple of years, we've even gone a lot further, but, but at home, that was for me, it was a huge change to, to go paperless and it just made my life so much easier. Ever since I was a little kid, I've always had this thing about NASA. We went actually down there one year, a family road trip from California to Florida, you know, and uh, I got a flight suit, like one of the, I remember it was this orange, like jumpsuit with the NASA patch on the shoulder. And I, I was like probably six or seven. And and my sister was just teasing me about it a few months ago, how I wore that thing until it was threadbare and it was like four inches up my arm. You know, because I had grown so much. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think I'm di- digressing again to aren't I, Katie? That's all right. Well, I, I want to hear a little bit more about the tools that you're using uh, on your Mac and um, the apps that you're using for your work. Uh, but before we do, let me take a quick break and talk about our next sponsor. And that is lynda.com. Lynda.com is an easy and affordable way to help you learn, and you can instantly stream thousands of courses, video tutorials created by industry experts on business, software, web development, graphic design, and more. Uh, Lynda.com works directly with these industry experts and software companies to help provide you with timely training, and their new courses often come out on the same day that new versions of software products hit the market, so you are always up to speed. These courses are produced at the highest quality. These are not homemade videos on YouTube, and they're broken down into bite-sized pieces so you can learn at your own pace and learn from start to finish, or you can just pop in and pop out if there's a particular section of a software program that you want to learn, or maybe you just have a question and you want to find an answer. 
Lynda.com can help you with that. Uh, their tools include searchable transcripts. So if you're looking for specific keywords so that you can hone in on a specific area, you can do that. They've got playlists and they've got certificates of course completion, which is great if you want to publish them to your LinkedIn profile or you want to use them as a resume builder and, and you know polish up some of your skills because you're looking to advance in your career or maybe looking to move up into a different career. So whether you're beginner or advanced, Lynda.com has courses for all experience levels and you can even learn on the go with lynda.com because they've got apps for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Uh, I really love their business model here because it's one low monthly price of $25 and it gives you unlimited access to over 100,000 video tutorials. Uh, premium members with an annual plan can also download the courses to their iPhones and iPads so that they can watch them offline. And they can also download project files so that they can practice along with the instructor. Uh, for software, you can rely on lynda.com to help you stay current. And you know what? This is the holiday season we're moving into. Some of us have some additional time off. Uh, this is a great time to go uh, learn some new skills and take advantage of some of this downtime. And I know that's what I'm going to be doing with some of my time off. And also from Linda, they know that maybe this is a good time of year for you to take advantage of it. They've upped their normal free trial, which is normally seven days, as a special bonus for Mac Power users listeners. Uh, you're going to get a 10-day free trial by visiting lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash Mac Power users. Try them out for free for 10 days. Uh, and thanks to Linda for supporting 5x5 and Mac Power users. So, Skip, you've got the the Mac you're using at work. Uh, what are the applications you're using to, you know, get uh, spacecraft sent into space? So, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the data, a lot of the day to day information um, that that we need to uh, communicate about goes goes on during email. Um, anything that um, you know. It, requires more than you know five or ten minutes of writing something up and passing it back and forth we handle with uh you know teleconferences and uh and typically um you know each one of the groups has their own solution for you know online meeting collaboration and uh so far all of them have worked just fine with a mac so depending on what meeting i'm going to i i dial in and um you know collaborate with whatever their tool of choice is um, the other, the other component of our, of our work is, is passing data back and forth. And, you know, as you can imagine, a lot of that data is sensitive. So we have to use, um, you know, a, the, a secure means to, to pass that data back and forth. So we've got, you know, encryption, uh, on our email, but a lot of these files, sometimes if they're, if they're models or, you know, large data files, um, you know, we've got to use some sort of a server. And, um, and again, each, each party has their own solution. And so we end up, you know, using three different uh, file sharing services um, in order to pass data back and forth. So there's a lot of, a lot of web uh, usage in order to, to, to really do this collaboration. Yeah, you know, it's really tough when you've got multiple companies or contractors and parties involved because everybody's got the widget that they have approved. And I see this as well in my day job. And not that one is necessarily better than another or that much better, but just the process of having to go through two or three different ones, I think makes the whole process a lot less secure. Yeah, it definitely opens up some holes. Um, and, 
you know, it's, it's one of those things, like I said earlier, you have to kind of look at the cost benefit. And in, in some cases, it's, it's worth charging the windmill and saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take us down from three tools down to one, and here's how I'm going to do it. And sometimes it's just easier to give in and use the three tools and, and just get, get your job done. Um, so there are a few areas that I'm, that I'm trying to, you know, instill maybe some, some better technology solutions. And then there's others that, uh, you know, are maybe less priority that I just bite the bullet and use what's already in existence. Yeah. And I, I'm not advocating one or the other, but it, it's just an observation. But you also had said that you use Circus Pony's notebook quite a bit. I do. I, I started using that. Oh gosh, it's probably been seven or eight years. Um, really pretty much as soon as I got my first Mac and, um, you know, I, I use it for, um, a couple different, uh, applications. Probably the biggest one is, um, I actually use it as my notebook, uh, when I'm on console for the actual, the actual launch. Um, you know, when, when you're working the launch, at least in, in my role, you have to have a lot of um, technical data at your fingertips. And if there's if an issue pops up, you've got to be able to react really quickly and, and talk it. And, you know, if you're thumbing through, you know, a large pile of paper to try and get at that one piece of data that you need, um, you know, you're wasting a lot of time. So uh, for me, Circus Pony's Notebook, I was able to, you know, basically take all that information. Most of it was already digital anyway, and just not only put it in one place, but put it in a structure, you know, with, with tabs and hyperlinks and, um, you know, put it in a, in a structure that made sense for how I could potentially need to use it on launch day. Okay. So we have to stop right there for a second. So when you say you're on console, you're one of the guys in the room with the, uh, computers in front of them and all the buttons in front of you and the headsets. And yeah, I actually get, to, I get to say, go. You get to say go. Absolutely. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Oh my goodness! You actually do have the red button. Uh, not the red button. Um, but, but close I, enough. <laughs> I've got some buttons in front of me, so <laughs> you have a you have a go no go. Now, Skip, you never told me that in our emails, and I now I'm now I'm in awe. Well, I, I can't. I've got to save some surprises. There you go. <laughs> well, that isn't that exciting though. I mean, to wake up and say we're going to send something into outer space today. Are you are you just exhausted? Is it one of those things where you work so hard to get there? You you don't think about it too much on on launch day um, because you're too busy. But uh, but yeah, definitely leading up to launch. You know, for the couple of years that you're working on the mission, um, you're you know it's it's really exciting getting up every day knowing that you're you're one step closer to launching something else into space. So tell me about how you've got this Circus Ponies notebook organized. It did. And how do you share that with others? Because I would imagine you're probably pretty unique in how you use that tool. Yeah, so um, I've basically got it set up. Um, so I've got it in, you know, a couple of different major sections of the book, um, of the notebook. And, you know, the uh, there's a lot of um, reviews leading up to launch. And, you know, I'll take notes during those reviews. There will be you know, certain technical resolutions that come out of those reviews and, and you want to have all that data at your fingertips. So just keeping it all in one location, you know, within like the reviews section of that notebook is is really handy. That way on the launch console, if something something pops up, I need to be part of a conversation involving that that resolution. Then I, I know, oh, yeah, we talked about it in this review and I know exactly where it is on my notebook. Um, 
so that's that's part of the structure um the other part is you know we have what's called a, an icd an interface control document and that that basically is it lists all the requirements for the interface which is all of the 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 tangible um interfaces between the spacecraft and the launch vehicle so it's everything that the spacecraft and launch vehicle have to do in order to to work together and, and as a launch system and a subset of that document is is monitored you know during the launch sequence to make sure that uh, everything's working properly so um so i've got all of those components uh listed in the notebook as well and it's structured um, you know, according to, uh, according to the ICD and, and by function. So, uh, if I happen to know the section of the document that, that we're working on at the time, then I can quickly go to it. But if I don't know the section and I know the system, for instance, like the, the purge system, then I can get to it that way as well. So it's kind of the nice, the, the beauty of having something digital is it's not just in one order. You can get to it multiple ways. The, um... So and one of the, the benefits of Circus Pony's notebook is the index as well. But the, the application does a really fantastic job of just indexing everything you throw at it. Do you ever use that? I do. Um, if, um, you know, if I'm ever trying to find something and I know it's in there and I just, it, my, my indexing system or whatever just failed me at the time, then I, I know it can go to the, to the multi-dex at the end and just type in that keyword and I'll, I'll find every reference. To, to that word uh, in that search. So it, it's really handy. And, and, you know, earlier you mentioned, you know, how do you, how do you collaborate um, with that notebook? Um, and that's the other really powerful feature that I found with the software is that um, typically um, there'll be a couple of us on console that day. And um, it's nice to be able to share what you're using as your data source with the person that's that's backing you up or helping you that day and whether they've got a mac or a pc you know i'm able to export that entire notebook out um basically as html and they just open up the uh, the main page and uh they basically have the same notebook that i've got it's really handy yeah you can even publish the web with that feature if you wanted like if you had an intranet and you wanted to put it up yeah, yeah. In fact, I've done that before um, with the other um, application that I've used uh, Circus Pony's Notebook for, and that was uh, modeling trajectories. When I'm actually creating a trajectory model uh, in, a, in a piece of trajectory optimization software, you know, building that model up is it's complicated. There's lots of lots of bits and parts, and there's a lot of data that goes into building that model, and I was building up a pretty complicated model and I needed to hand it off to somebody else because I was going off on assignment for a while. And luckily I'd been using a notebook and I was able to literally dump it out to a server. Um, and uh, somebody on a PC was able to pick it up and they knew exactly where I left off in the model and how all the inputs flowed into the model. And it was, it worked great. The, um, the, they have a, an app for the iPad as well. Do you, uh, ever use the iPad version or is it all done on the Mac? No, I do. I use the iPad version. Um, it, it's really handy when, you know, you don't have your Mac with you and you just want to, you, you know, you've got a piece of data that you need to get at. So, um, so yeah, I end up using the iPad version uh, quite a bit. And sometimes, you know, I'm on my, uh, my laptop and I just, I don't want to bring up 
notebook for whatever reason on my on my uh on my laptop and I'll just bring it up on the iPad and now I've got a second screen. We had um a discussion about Circus Pony's notebook like within the last couple months on the show and following that we received a lot of email from listeners who are also big Circus Ponies fans and uh, so this will be nice. Uh I'm glad we were able to talk about it again. Skip, you also mentioned that you're using day one kind of both for a combination of, of personal and and work journaling. How does that fit in your workflow? Yeah, so so I, I use it personally just as kind of a, a daily journal. Um, but then at, at work, um, I use it as well. And I, I use it in a couple of ways at work that the, the main way that I use it is, um, you know, we've got, you know, performance reviews. Know, um, we've got one basically every six months, our kind of a checkup, and then our then our yearly performance review. And uh, at, at least in in my particular job, our performance metrics are rather extensive. There's a, a long list of uh, of different aspects of our job that that we need to basically report back and say, well, this is how I performed in this particular area, and. You know, rather than take, you know, a, a, an extensive amount of time, you know, every six months trying to remember, okay, well, what did I do the last six months? What were my accomplishments? You know, I chose to use day one as uh, it's not necessarily a daily entry, but it's whenever whenever I've done something that fits within the categories of my performance review, I'll just um, insert a quick entry and uh, and it's there. And Basically, what I did with day one is I uh, I'm using Hazel to um, or actually no I'm I'm using um, the uh, uh, keyboard maestro no um, I'm using the um, text expander text expander I don't know why there I blanked go. on that one yeah There's it's so always one great, of those yeah. <laughs> the, the top three <laughs> yeah so so I'm using text expander to basically um, kind of tag. Um, you know, which, which accomplishment, you know, fell into which category and, um, it actually, um, autofills, you know, the format such that, um, you know, it brings up the drop down menus so I can pick which project it was on and which category it fits into. So it kind of autofills all that information for me. So I'm basically able to take what would have taken me probably a day or two every six months to accomplish to something that I can do in about, 10 or 15 seconds, um, you know, over the course of those six months, just at a time. And it's just, it's a much better way. Cause obviously when you've just done something and you know that, Hey, this should go into my performance review, it's better to do it right then and there. But if you've got any kind of friction, which is, well, it takes me more than five seconds or 10 seconds or 30 seconds to do, Oh, I'll do it at the end of the week or I'll do it when I have more time. But you know, with at least what I found with the Mac is you can, you can really optimize, you know, how you interface with that tool and make it so frictionless that it's just easy to do it right then and there. And and I'm sure it's better data as well at the end of the day. Right, right. And, but do you do your personal journal as well with it? I do. I, I use the personal journal and I use the iCloud sync for it. And then, um, you know, as we talked about later, I earlier, you know, I have to protect any of the sensitive data. Um, with respect to work. So I, I only keep it resident on, on my, my, uh, my NASA laptop and I don't use cloud sync for the, the uh, day one journal at work. Gotcha. Okay. And then there's a word in here. I see the word PowerPoint. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah. So tell me about PowerPoint. So I guess you give a lot of presentations. Um, I, I do. Um, you know, we have um, quarterly meetings with each one of our mission teams. So uh, any mission I'm working, we'll, we'll get together, you know, at least three or four times a year and, um, you know, have a couple days worth of meetings. And there's a lot of technical discussion. So obviously PowerPoint's kind of the tool of choice there. Um, and we also have, um, you know, what's called engineering review boards. So if there's any sort of a technical issue that we're working, um, you know, we, we basically disposition that, um, that work through an engineering review board. And you have to have a way to basically convey your your information to the board and you know the the tool of choice for that is 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 powerpoint um and i'm I'm presuming the reason you have to use powerpoint is you need to turn it in or share it at some point i i think it's just kind of the the default solution for for enterprise i you know i i am yeah i'm giving you a hard time but powerpoint really has come a long way on the mac in the last few years. And it's, it's a great application for presentations. I don't think it's as good as keynote for a bunch of reasons. And, and I don't want to get he started. Wrote a book on it. Gonna, but the, um, but you know, you can still use it with good technique. PowerPoint can look great. I, I think if you were going to have to use PowerPoint, one suggestion I would make is uh, either export a keynote template or take the time to make your own template. Cause one of the big digs against PowerPoint is everybody uses the same two or three templates and, the audience is really tired of those templates. So give them something different, you know, change up the typography, change up the template and make it something different. Yeah. And and I do that. So there's, there's basically two different ways that I use PowerPoint. One is, is for, you know, very formal settings and reviews. And in that case, I, I use PowerPoint because that's what everybody else is using. It has to integrate into a single package and, um, and so then I'll go ahead and use PowerPoint for those situations. But there's other situations where I, I'm pretty much the only presenter. You know, I, I'm running the show. There's nobody else before or after me. So I can pretty much use whatever software that I want. And, and in that case, you know, I'll, I'll use Keynote and I'll, uh, you know, basically set up my own styles and, uh, you know, present the way that I want to. And, and really, when I, when I present even technical information, I if I can't get up there and tell you a story about that technical information without slides, then I feel like I haven't done my job. So it's, it's hard for me to get up in a formal setting and have these charts with all this data on it. Um, you know, obviously I've, I've gotten good at doing it, but it's, I'd much rather just have a technical conversation about it. And, you know, sometimes PowerPoint can kind of get in the way it, it, if you're not careful pretty soon you're just reading the chart and you're you're forgetting all of the important points that fall between all of the data that's on the chart and connecting the dots on all those pieces of data so um one of the things that i've um actually started to do is um for some of our engineering reviews um we put together a basically a summary before we go into the into the board that talks about Hey, these are the the major issues that we're going to discuss, and it kind of gives the board um, a little bit of an executive summary about what's going on before you actually get into the meat of the topic. Um, and it's historically been done with PowerPoint, 
And I deviated from that recently. And I created, essentially, it's a Word document. And it kind of melds, you know, the the idea of a white paper, which is a short technical, you know, paper, and and PowerPoint, such that um, it still has some of the bulleted summaries in, in each of the sections of the white paper, such that if you only had two minutes to review this paper, you could do it and you'd get the information you needed. But below each one of those bulleted summaries, I actually go into detail like I would if I was writing a, a full-blown you know, white paper. And it kind of gives you the best of both worlds such that, you know, if you don't completely understand what I meant by those eight words I put in the bullet, I've got, a you know, a couple of sentences or a paragraph underneath that, that fully explains all of the technical details that went into that bullet. And to me, that's that's critical when you're talking about, you know, something complicated like spaceflight. Um, it's you have to be careful about, you know, making sure that your point gets across across accurately. Yeah, I, I wrote about this in the presentations book and the what I called it was a, a presentation document. And and I think it's a great idea because you're going to give a presentation. And if you give it, I think a good presentation doesn't have a whole lot of words on the screen. It's it's more of a it's backing up the words that you're speaking rather than replacing you. Um, and I always felt that if you had that and you had you really made a visual impact with your presentation, um, why not? make a separate presentation file and and keep some of the graphics and the imagery that you use in the presentation but put two or three paragraphs on a page and print it out with the idea that people would sit at their their desk and read it like a document the only thing is i i recommend and i don't think you can do this from what you're explaining to me but the i would recommend not giving them that document till after you speak because while you're speaking if you give them that they're just going to be reading it and not listening to you right well in in this particular case i didn't get to speak to them at all it was a standalone document oh okay and and believe it or not a lot of times it's just a powerpoint that, that goes out to the board ahead of time and i just didn't feel that was a good way to communicate you know, there's too too much left out. Otherwise, you're, you've got these bullets with 50 words each, and, and it, I don't know, it's kind of a mess. Or even worse, in my case, it would be like a, a picture of a frog. <laughs> You'd be like, what the heck is this? You know. Um, so, but no, I think that's a great idea. These these presentation documents. I, I think there's a real need for that. And and when you spend all this time making a a really beautiful presentation, and you do make those points that impact on somebody. Um, why not give them something afterwards so they can say, oh, there's the picture of the frog and he was talking about this important concept. And then you look and all the words are there to kind of get them up to speed if they if they want. Um, it's, it's an interesting uh, idea. I think a lot of people are starting to do that now. So good on you. Hey, you know, we should probably talk about a sponsor. Okay. And I would like to talk about 1Password because it's just so critical to me. <laughs> 1Password creates and stores strong and unique passwords. And as we see in the news, increasingly, that's becoming a thing. Um, people other than us are disclosing our confidential information. So you need to basically put every vendor you deal with in a little black box. You can't have the same password you're using across all these different companies you're working with because those companies, for a large part, can't be trusted 
to store that data. And if they disclose your password and you've used it on more than one site, the bad guys are going to go try it in different sites and then they're going to start taking your money or your information or things like that. So 1Password solves this problem. It creates these passwords for you and it remembers them. So you can have a great unique password on each website. They're multi-platform. They're on the Mac, the PC, the iPhone, the iPad, Android, um, and they can sync the data over Dropbox or iCloud. So you can have it right across those processes. It auto fills. So not only making these great passwords, you're also being able to fill them in without having a lot of trouble. And it just takes care of this problem. Every person in my personal life that I've introduced to 1Password always comes back and thanks me because it solves a real problem that everybody has. The people at 1Password are really smart, and they're always coming up with ways to make the application better with things like the secure vaults and the ability to to have notes in addition to passwords stored or to store a picture of your credit card so you've got it if your wallet gets stolen. But the one I wanted to talk to you about today is Watchtower. And Watchtower is relatively new to 1Password. And, you know, one of the issues that we have, like I talked about earlier, sometimes you have accounts with companies that get compromised and uh, we're all busy. We don't have time to follow the Internet to find out every time the people that, you know, we buy socks from uh, compromises information. So there's a good chance there are people you deal with out there that have compromised information and you're not aware of it. And in that case, you're going to want to do something about it. Maybe you'll want to cancel your account or at least change your password and account information. Well, with 1Password's Watchtower service, you can do that. It looks for you. So when you go to 1Password, you'll see a big red like banner across the top, like red alert, you know, kind of Star Trek, Katie, like you would Love it. You would want. And and when that red alert shows up, you're like, hey, wait a second. These guys have had a problem since the last time I used them. I need to fix that. So 1Password's Watchtower takes care of that for you. They solve that problem. Now, if you've got 1Password already, you need to go turn it on. It's in the preferences. There's a little setting right there for Watchtower. And you just click the, the word enable and you're good to go. And uh, so go do that if you haven't. It's not on by default. So I want you all to go out and set up Watchtower. And if you're you're sharing 1Password with people during the holidays, I think it's a great time of year to introduce family members to a, a great way to securely store their passwords. Make sure you tell them about that too and enable that for them as well. Uh, 1Password's been a sponsor of the show for a long time. We really appreciate their support. And more importantly, we really appreciate all the uh, security and convenience they've brought to our lives. Thanks, 1Password. Skip, you've got some interesting stuff uh, that you're doing outside of work as well that's kind of related to your line of work. Um, You shared with us in the outline that you're in the process of of writing a novel, a sci-fi novel. And so one of the things that I think is particularly interesting is that you're collaborating with a couple of other people on that, with illustrators and with science advisors, and none of you are in the same place. And so tell us a little bit about your novel and how that's going and, and the tools that you're using for that. Yeah, the, the the novel is still very much in its infancy. Um, my travel and work schedule have been really hectic. And uh, on top of that, I'm going back to school, you know, like you are, Katie, I'm, I'm getting my master's degree. Yeah. And uh, so when you roll all those things up, um, my my personal time, you know, even after, you know, having family time is very, very limited. So um, I, I haven't gotten as far uh, with my with my novel as I'd like, but you know, really, it's it's just kind of a side project for me to you know do something creative outside of work, and uh, I really like to write, 
And I've got a cousin that's a very gifted artist and we're both into, into sci-fi. So, um, you know, I kind of brought it up with him one day, Hey, why don't we, why don't we do something together and, and, uh, just see, see what we can do. And, and so I, I came up with, you know, a basic plot and, um, and we, we kind of started from there. And the difficult part though, is, you know, when, when you're writing something like that is, um, you know, how do you collaborate? Cause you know, my, my cousin's in Texas, I'm in Florida. Um, my science person and my illustrator or my, uh, design graphic artist is out in, um, San Francisco. So it's, you know, it's not like we can get together, you know, every weekend or every couple of weeks and, and, uh, and work on the project. So, um, I'm actually using, uh, Confluence. I don't know if you're familiar with, with Confluence. No, no tell us a little bit about it. Uh, it's, it's basically a, uh, a, a wiki essentially. Um, but it's got a lot of, uh, collaboration features built in. So you're, you're, you've probably used SharePoint before and, um, you know, SharePoint has a lot of collaboration, uh, collaboration features built into it, uh, including a wiki, but, uh, Confluence is really focused on, you know, the, the, the wiki aspect of, of collaboration. So, um, it's really good for, you know, integrating pieces together and, um, you know, having a product at the end. Um, so I, I've actually used it, um, to create a 40 page, um, paper as one of my school projects where my, where my partner was several thousand miles away and we were on different time, time schedules as far as when we were available to work on it. So I used Confluence and rewrote the entire paper within Confluence. And I just simply exported it at the end of the semester and uh, we were done. But the, the beauty of Confluence is, is how it, how you're able to collaborate because as soon as you get into the site, you see what everybody else has been up to. Um, you know, it highlights additions or changes that they've made to the text. Um, it's got a dashboard, so it'll show you which portions of the wiki that they've added content to. Um, it's just, it, they give you all the bells and whistles that you could possibly need to collaborate. And then it's up to you to choose which pieces make sense for your particular application. And at least I found that it's just been invaluable as far as being able to, to, to get something that has traditionally been very much a hands-on in the same room type of effort, but you can do it now, um, you know, asynchronously, you know, people can just do it when they have time and it, and it, it enables things like these side projects of writing a graphic novel, you know, to be something that I can actually do now versus, Oh, well, everybody I want to work with it on is so far away and we're on different schedules and we're all busy. So I guess it'll never happen. So it's a real enabler. You know, if you wind back the clock, like five years, um, cloud storage was something that was like kind of a mystery and a potential that really nobody had seen. And then things like Dropbox and SugarSync and a couple people started showing up and saying, Hey, this is something companies can do now. And the internet has got to a point where we can actually make this work. And it was great. It really changed the way it just changed a lot of computing for people. And I feel like collaboration is at that same tipping point right now, because all of a sudden it's not just a company like Google or Apple that can make collaboration stuff. Uh, it's a lot of private, interesting developers like Confluence. And I'm really, really curious to see what happens over the next year or two with this stuff, because why not make this easier? 
you know, why not have a way for people to collaborate on documents without having to use just, you know, really ugly interface. So I, I'm all for it. And, and the model at Confluence is a pay model. I was just looking at it as you were talking. You can get 10 users for $10 a month. Yeah, and you can also host it uh, yourself, or you can use their their uh, online hosting. So, And I've actually done it both ways. And both Anyone you'd recommend? Um, if if you're working with a small group, it's much easier just to, to use their their uh, their web hosting. Um, but if you're if you've got a larger group, a lot of data, and you're you're kind of worried about maybe locking that data down, then obviously you know hosting it yourself is a better way to go. Did you um did you try any other services, or did you just try Confluence first? Um, actually, um, <clears throat> the agency has used uh, Confluence. Um, in a couple of different ways, there's, there's two different, uh, NASA centers. Uh, one of them's JPL. The other is, uh, is Goddard up in, uh, up, up in Maryland. And they use Confluence as basically a center-wide Wikipedia. So it's a way to store technical knowledge. Um, uh, and it, it, it works great. It works basically just like a, just like Wikipedia does on the web, but it's, it's focused. It's it's inside of their firewalls, and you know it's it's basically the go to place if you're looking for an answer. You know that's that's the first place you go. Um, so it, it's been used in that way. I'm I'm actually trying to bring it to Kennedy Space Center. Um, I'm actually on Monday. I've got a a meeting with my management to to start up a small pilot with within our program. Um, but the other way the agencies used it, and this is really interesting. Um, there's a there's a document called the Software Engineering Handbook, and it, um, it basically has a lot of guidance written into it on how you develop software for you know spacecraft and and uh, various uh, supporting systems. And in the past, it's always been a physical document. It's been a, like a word document that that gets edited and. Um, peer-reviewed and then signed off and, and released, you know, in the formal manner. But this time around, when it was time to to update the, the handbook, they decided to use Confluence not only to um, edit it and have it uh, reviewed, but to also house the handbook permanently. So it so lives... They're, pu- they're publishing it through Confluence. Through Confluence. Sense. It lives as a wiki, and it's been very successful. Well, I, I'm yeah. Let me know how this all works out because I'm I'm really curious about these types of services, and I do think that this is something that people are going to start incorporating in the workplace. It just makes so much more sense than having this shuffle of documents that's going around, and there's two or three different versions, and nobody knows which one is gospel, and people are making changes to one, and then people are making changes together, and never the two shall meet. It's it just really makes sense to me, but it felt to me like up until recently, it just, the internet wasn't up to it that, you know, you could do it with basic text and even that was kind of hard, but now people are, there's many vendors that are, are getting into this space. Now, now getting back to your book though, I think it's a great idea. Like, you know, was it Andy Weir? I think his name is the guy who wrote the Martian. Yes. Um, Excellent you know, book. He, I've read it. Yeah. It's this, this great book. He, I think, did he work at NASA or he worked in, in, um, 
space exploration in some capacity and brought that to bear on this great fiction book that now I think they're making a movie out of, and it's just great. But but what you had said uh, to us is the book you're looking to write is going to be more interactive and maybe even use iBooks author. Yeah, and that's... I haven't seen... Yeah, I haven't seen too much fiction do that. I'm really curious what your plans are. Yeah, that's... If it's too early, you don't have to tell. No, no, not at all. Um, that's, that's kind of my plan is um, I would primarily publish it in in iBooks author and uh i would probably also offer like a like a pdf version for people that don't have you know ios or an apple device but um you know it's it's again it's like a no barrier type of an entry into getting your work published and um it also gives you the maximum amount of creativity i think with with your own work you know to be able to make the final product look exactly how you want it to versus, well, your, your editor, the person that's laying out the, the book for publishing says it has to look like this. So we're going to take your original artist work and we're going to, you know, compress it down to this. And, you know, you, it really gives you maximum control. So for me, that was, that was a, a good choice. And, um, you know, I'm still working out what the format's going to be. I, it's, I call it a graphic novel, but, in reality, it's 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 going to have more words than a graphic novel would. So it's it's almost going to be kind of a mix between a you know like a comic book and um, uh, Andy Weir's The Martian. Um, so where it's it's got kind of a, a combination between the two. I'm even looking at maybe having some some video in there as well. Well, that, that is a big project, my friend. So good yeah. luck with it. And uh, I totally feel your pain about, you know, having family and day jobs and all these other things going on. It, it's difficult, but it, it's a book that I, I definitely look forward to reading. Uh, iBooks author, uh, for those interested, has recently got an update and it's much more stable. And they're, you know, they're slowly um, getting some features in there that we've all been wanting for some time. So this is only getting better. And uh, I do get a lot of email from listeners saying, well, when are the, the field guides going to get on my big iPhone six plus? And I'll, my answer, I'm just going to say here, so I don't have to write a bunch of emails about it is as soon as Apple lets me, they will go on the six plus, but you know, right now it's just iPad and Mac. I'm actually really excited to talk to you about some of the time management things that you're doing, some of the, the life hacks to to make things in your personal life easier, whether it be budgeting and and even you know, even just stuff like getting your getting yourself fed and, and meal preparation. I because I'm going through some of the same experiences that you are with just having so much stuff to do and not enough time. Uh, and I'm glad you put brought some of that stuff to our attention in your outline. But before we go there, I want to talk about our last sponsor, and that's our folks over at the Omni Group. And the tool that I have been in more than anything this past couple of months is Omni Outliner. And if you outline, Omni Outliner is the premier tool, both for Mac and iOS. You can use Omni Outliner to store and collect all sorts of information for just about any use case. Uh, they've got some amazing built-in themes to get you started. Omni Outliner 4 is better than ever. It is feature-rich and flexible. You can use it for 
any number of projects from just creating simple tasks lists uh, to outlining a speech to what I use it for primarily taking notes in class or skip. You could even use it if you wanted for writing your novel. Uh, You can quickly add structure to your outlines for uh, adding additional information to beef up your outlines. You can expand and collapse and only work on the parts that you need when you're ready to work on it. Uh, And all of this is accessible through easy keyboard shortcuts. And that's where it really shines. You've got to learn the keyboard shortcuts so you can get in and out and really navigate uh, in into the little pieces of your outline. Uh, but if you want to add more information to your outline, you can do that as well by pulling in attachments, pulling in audio recordings and PDFs, and you can even record audio while you take notes with Omni Outliner. And I've done this a couple of times uh, when there's a particular segment that I'm not quite understanding, or maybe the professor's going through something particularly quickly. I can just hit the record button, take notes as I can keep up, and then go back and listen to it again uh, and maybe tweak my outlines. You can share your outlines by exporting them in a variety of formats. And best of all, all of this information can sync across all of your Macs or any of your iPads using OmniPresence, which is their free, reliable, and open source syncing solution. So your files will always be intact, available, and waiting for you. And it even uses background app refresh. Uh, with iOS 7 and iOS 8. Uh, The Pro version brings you additional features like uh, additional file export formats, Apple Script support, advanced style control, and more. So you can go check it out at omnigroup.com. They'll give you an opportunity to try it. You can get a full two-week trial uh, and try before you buy. And it comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So check out Omni Outliner over at omnigroup.com. And thanks to Omni for their support of the show. So Skip, when I saw this in the outline, I just smiled because this is uh, something that I've been struggling with as well. But you mentioned that, you know, obviously you've got a very busy day job. Uh, you, you're you going to school. You've got some hobbies, um, this being one of mine, that takes up a lot of your time. Um, and sometimes just getting the necessities of life done uh, there's, it, it's hard to find time to do that. It's hard to find time to do things like, you know, how am I going to eat this week? And, and how am I going to cook all of my meals for the week? And, and who's going to figure out what's going on for dinner? And did I balance my bank statements? And um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're struggling with those issues just like I am. Yeah, yeah, it's a challenge when you've only got so many hours every weekend and uh, they, they go fast. Uh, so tell me some of your life hacks for, for how you're getting those things done. So probably one of the one of the the biggest things for me was kind of offloading um you know this constant need to update my my family budget um about a, almost 2 years ago now I switched to a um a bank called Simple and I don't know if you're familiar with Simple but the the I'm idea not. the idea behind Simple is it's really a a user interface that was built and then after they got the user experience figured out, then they went off looking for a bank. And uh, rather than a bank trying to figure out, well, let's see if we can build a user interface around the service. Um, so it's very uh, user friendly. Um, it works with um, with iOS. Uh, so you've got an app on your on your iPhone that basically hooks into your to your bank account. And, you know, the whole idea behind simple is that it's like the word says, it's simple. Um, So I used to spend, you know, multiple hours every weekend, you know, kind of pulling in bank data into my my budgeting software. And I've I've used multiple um, softwares over the years. And, uh, you know, they're, they're all really good, but they do take some time. 
And kind of like what I what I talked about with my email earlier, where I don't have all these folders and I try and keep it as simple as possible. This banking solution really takes a lot of that that time out of the equation such that my entire budget lives in my iPhone app. And as soon as I make a purchase, it pops up on my iPhone and um, it registers it right there within within my budget. And if it's, um, you know, I can toss that particular um, purchased item and I can um, add tags to it. Um, I can even add photos if I want to, um, notes and so on and so forth. But but more importantly, it tells me within seconds what my current budget is for the month. And I used to do it with credit cards and with debit cards. And sometimes there'd be, you know, several days before all the transactions would actually hit your account. And, you know, when you've, when you're a family of five, you can, uh, you can go through a lot of your budget in just a couple of days. So, um, so now I spend 15 minutes every two weeks and that's all the time I spend budgeting. And my budget is, is better now than it was when I was spending several hours a weekend on it. So I, this looks really interesting. Yeah. I'm looking at the website and, uh, and that's, that's, it is interesting. So how long have they been around? I can't figure I that would, out. I think probably about three years. I, I don't, I think they were relatively new. Um, it's, it, I believe they're still invite only now. Um, but, um, but they're growing and, you know, I, I, I really, it, they follow the kind of the, the budgeting structure of using, you know, envelopes. So you can basically set up a goal and, and slow, either slowly add money to it or add money to it on a regular basis. And then you spend the money out of those, out of those budgeting envelopes within the application. And so it was just a much easier way of setting up, you know, a household budget and sticking to it than, you know, having, you know, 50 categories in a really complex, you know, budgeting software and then having to manage that every week. So just being able to pull your phone out of your pocket and do your budgeting on the go, you know, a few seconds at a time. It just, it's, it's great. Yeah. The, the thing that I've done is I've just really simplified and I I don't have a great solution. I'm still using Quicken Essentials. I know Quicken came out with a new product and I, I haven't switched to it just because I have no idea, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it is kind of my philosophy with that. Um, and I'm just, I, I use my debit card and I have one credit card that I use for, for things that I'm, I'm not interested in. And, you know, that I, I'm worried about putting my debit card out there for, and I just try to keep it really simple. And thankfully uh, my bank has a really good online bill pay system and just sucks it all in. And uh, yeah, I, I probably should reconcile a little bit more than I do, but you know, Quicken makes it pretty easy. It just pulls it all in. And I've never, I've never found a problem with their reconciliation or with my bank's reconciliation. It's all been a problem with, with what I've done. So I've just kind of let it go with that, but that's, that's been my method in using their online bill pay to simplify it. Yeah, we've we, everybody asks us for uh, a budgeting and a financial management solution for the Mac. I know a lot of people like iBank. Um, of, of course, it's a if you don't have the direct tie-ins with the banks, you know, Quicken is big enough that they can negotiate some of those deals. Um, sometimes you have to pay extra for third-party services to get those to to sync up and in. But it sounds like because you're using a specific bank with a specific service, it takes care of all that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's all built in. They have bill pay, so. Um, they can, they can, uh, you know, you can have money pulled from your bank account, just like you can any other bank account, but they could, they'll also mail a physical check. 
and you can set that up as a as a recurring uh, payment. And uh, so really, there's very little, um, very few services that I have to pay for every month manually. Everything's pretty much done automatically, and uh, and I can do my budgeting while I'm standing in line at the grocery store. Wow. Um, and then speaking of standing in line at the grocery store, you kind of had an interesting take to getting all of your, your meal, you and your wife coordinating for your meal prep for the week. And I didn't realize you had such a large family of five, but that, that takes a lot of coordination. It, it does. And, and both my wife and I like to cook. Um, she just recently graduated with her engineering degree. And so while she was in school full time, I was kind of Mr. Mom doing all the cleaning and cooking and meal planning. And, you know, it, it, as soon as I started, you know, kind of taking that over my, uh, the geek side of me took, took over and, uh, and found a better solution for, you know, kind of going out, doing the shopping and the meal planning. And that way, when my wife did graduate and now she's working full time, you know, we both are kind of doing the cooking and the shopping and, and we'll hand off and, one person will do some of the meal planning and like, like this morning, she, she, I did the meal planning. She went, she went and did the shopping. So you have to have a way to communicate effectively in order to, to kind of do that handoff. Uh, and then there's some nights she'll be home and I'll be working late or I'm traveling and, and vice versa. So we really have to have that seamless transition. So there's, there's a lot of software packages out there, but the one that I kind of glommed onto was, was paprika. And um, so I kind of have a workflow where, you know, every Saturday morning I get up and, you know, I look at the the grocery ads and I, I kind of start building my list from there as far as what's on sale and uh, get some ideas for recipes based on, you know, the sale items. And then within Paprika, you start building your, your grocery list with, within the application. Um, and then the next step for me was is to figure out, OK, well, now I know what's on sale and what I'm getting based on the sale items you know, what are my meal plans for the week? Well, there's a calendar within Paprika, so you can add uh, recipes to each day of the week and, uh, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, however extensive you want to do it. And, um, you know, it's also a recipe manager. So all of your recipes are, are within the application. So if you say, hey, this sounds really good. We haven't had it for a while. I'm going to do this on Monday night. And you kind of fill out your week that way. But then the really powerful part of it is, you know, within each recipe, you can select what items you actually have to go out and purchase at the grocery store and it'll auto generate all of your your shopping list for you so for me that that was that was a big thing rather than having to go through index cards and you know print out of oh here's the recipe i saved from last time it's just all all in one system i've actually heard from several listeners that uh recommend paprika so i'm downloading it now i guess this is the tipping point for me. Got to try it. Well, and for me, the the really powerful piece of this, um, besides the fact that when I make a list, it's immediately pushed out via iCloud to my wife's phone and iPad and computer. Um, you know, the other piece of it is, is that it works with pretty much any website out there as far as grabbing a recipe. So I'm always seeing stuff online that I want to try. You know, we don't just cook the same, you know, 10 or 15 recipes over and over again. We're always trying something new. And uh, you bring up the website and it actually has an import button within Paprika that if you use the browser that's built into the tool, you hit one button and, and it sucks the entire recipe in. The cooking time, the directions, it parses it all out, including even the pictures of, of the, the finished product. And 
in case it's a website that's not supported by that feature, um, it, you have the ability to, you know, select individual components like, um, like the ingredients, for example. If you highlight the ingredients within the, their web browser and you hit the ingredients button on the bottom, it'll populate what you highlighted in the ingredients section of the app. So if I, if I can't do the one push import, it takes me a whole another 15 or 20 seconds to, to populate the recipe. So it's almost just as easy. I think yeah, the, the geek gene can run deep with people that like to cook. I think there's there's a lot of overlap there. Yeah, Don McAllister did a show on Paprika. Um, I'm not sure if we talked about it before, but it really got me interested in this app because it, it sounds like not only is it a good, a good way to import and, and manage your recipes, but also to kind of help you figure out, okay, well, this is what I've got. And, you know, number one, what can I make with what I've got? But also, you know, maybe if I just get a few more things, you know, how can I how can I best use what I've got? Yeah. And then, of course, you can also change, you know, the, the serving sizes. So if you know you're having extra people over and it'll it'll change, you know, the individual ingredients and how much you need. And then it populates that right into your uh, your shopping list. So it, it just makes it so easy. Yeah. One of the things that I've done as I've I've gotten busier this this past couple of months um, is I've done a and of course, cooking for one is very different than than cooking for a family of five, because if I were to cook for for five, I mean, that's going to last me all week, uh, which is what I tend to do is I, I tend to cook one or two bigger meals on Saturday and Sunday and um, either prep them, but not cook them and put them in the freezer or prep them and then kind of eat off them for for lunch and dinner all week. Um, and I've also I've also taken advantage of doing a lot of crockpot type stuff, where you can you know prep it the night before and throw it in the morning, and then when you come home, you've got something that you can you can eat on all day. So I've I've tried to give a lot of thought to you know what can I get at the grocery store, what what can I cook, and then kind of turn that into you know four or five things that maybe is not the exact same thing over over the next week. Yeah, we do the same thing with crock pots. We we actually cook up between seven and ten meals at a time, oh, wow. and uh, and freeze them off in in basically you know this freezer bags. And then uh, we probably use two crock pot recipes a week just because of you know we both work and so we're shifting our schedules to pick up kids and take them to all their activities. And by the time you get home, you don't have time to cook dinner. So uh, so for those nights, we toss it in a crock pot before we leave and. Uh, and then it's it's cooked and ready to go when we get home. So you're cooking it up that way ahead of time, all in one group. You know, you only do dishes once. You only have to cook that way maybe once every six weeks or so. And uh, boy, it's it, it's it's a huge time saver for us. And you know, I'm going to go there, right? With go the, there. What do you think? Of, what about these crockpots now that have Bluetooth and have iPhone apps, and you can start them remotely? Any interest in that stuff? So there was, but. Uh, my my wife actually went out and bought one before I could uh, get the truly internet connected one. But the one we've got is really nice because it's programmable. And so you can, you can choose for, you know, how long it needs to cook on high or on medium and then how long it goes down to low. And so for the most part, that really takes care of it. You know, um, the internet connectivity would, would really only come into play. Like if you, I don't know if you, if you've, realized you weren't going to be home until two hours later than you anticipated. And then you could leave it on low for two more hours or something like that. But, uh, for the most part, just so having mean, it programmed works great. So like if you were in the control center and you realized you needed to abort your dinner, like something like that. Right. Well, yeah, we had a launch delay, so I needed to uh, keep dinner warm. A little Dinner's going to be two hours delayed. <laughs> 
Just make sure to hit a board on the crock pod and not on the spaceship. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I don't know, David. Uh, as much as I really want my crock pot connected to the internet, I'm not sure that I see a need for that because uh, I don't know. Skip sounds like you, we're going to have to talk after the show offline because is, is people gave us grief for not having an after dark about gift wrapping. Maybe we'll also get grief for not having an after dark about crock pot recipes, but maybe people don't want to hear about that on the, on the show. But um, just about everything I throw in, I cook for like eight to 10 hours just on low. So I, you know, I just turn it on. I don't ever need to turn it up or turn it down. It's just, you know, I never need to touch it. That's kind of the point of a crock pot. Yeah, yeah. Most of the stuff we do is 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 on low. Um, although sometimes, if you yeah, if you pull it out of the freezer, typically you've got to put it on low because it's it's the only way to cook it. Um, but every once in a while, you're you're putting together something that's that's out of fresh ingredients and aren't frozen, and then it does call for it to to be on high for only a couple hours and then down to low. And if you want to put that in the crock pot and then leave because hey, it's the weekend. It's the only time to go out and do stuff as a family. You know, it's a real easy way to toss it in there and, and, and get it get it cooked. But Katie, it would have an app. It would have an app. That's right. Well, you know, Belkin's got one, so I could I don't even have to add an extra app. I could just use my existing Wemo app. There's a Wemo crockpot. That so, would work. Yeah. I, I had to um recently I updated my I replaced my airport extreme. And uh, so I have a new wireless network in my house, and now I'm in the process of reconfiguring all of my wireless things. Oh, don't ever change the name of your airport network. Yeah, I did. Oh. I did. Because oh. I was testing, and you know, now that I've got half of the house on the new stuff, I've I've just got to commit and go go do everything. That mean like every light bulb you've got to change now? Uh, no, just in certain apps. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, Skip, before we go too far down the rabbit hole of, of Crock-Pot recipes and everybody unsubscribes, that's probably a good time for us to to sign off. But tell us, um, where can people find you? Are you on Twitter? Do you have a blog? Or where can we learn more about the fun stuff that you're doing? Yeah, probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, via Twitter. Um, Skip Owens on Twitter. And uh, I also have a, a blog. So I write about uh, tech topics and basically whatever comes to mind, mostly tech oriented uh and that blog is uh onewayswim.com with one being the the numeral great and of course you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode at our website at macpowerusers.com or at 5x5.tv slash mpu and you can also find the sh- us on twitter uh the show is at macpowerusers i'm at katie floyd and david is at max sparky all right guys i really appreciate you having me on it's uh I'm happy to be able to uh, to give back to the Mac community because it's uh, your show in particular has really helped me kind of streamline what I do, and I appreciate it. Yeah, well, well, we're happy to help, you. and and we get a we get a thrill out of knowing that you guys over there at NASA are using anything we talk about. Um, you can send us feedback to feedback at macpowerusers.com and send in some audio comments because we're about ready for our December sixth live show at 10 a.m. PST, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, Backblaze, Linda, 1Password, and Omni, and we will see you all next week. Yeah.